Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Growth Farm Production. Are you ready? Let's get to it. What is the secret to efficient growth? One way is to focus your sales and marketing efforts on companies with the highest buying readiness. But how do you identify these best fit companies? And how do you prioritize these accounts? In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Ashish Damdari, the CEO and co-founder at Relevo, shares his advice and thoughts on how to do this and much more. So please take a listen and learn how to better define, identify, and prioritize your revenue efforts to drive the best outcomes. So super excited to be here today with Ashish Damdari, the CEO and co-founder at Relevo. For anyone who may not be familiar, Relevo is an AI-powered platform that helps B2B revenue leaders understand which accounts to target and how to engage the companies with the best fit and the highest pipeline value. Salespeople often hate their CRM. Why? Because they are hard to use, difficult to customize, and expensive to maintain. This means leads and opportunities don't get updated. Things get missed and sales can suffer. Insightly is the modern CRM that teams love. Easy to use, flexible enough to support your unique needs, and scales with you as you grow. This helps you sell smarter, grow faster, and build lasting customer relationships. Insightly is trusted by more than a million users worldwide. For more information, visit insightly.com forward slash get insightly. So welcome Ashish and thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to just learn more about your journey and really just learn from your experience. Rosalind, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be on a podcast, longtime listener, huge fan. And it's exciting to me to be here and have this conversation with you today. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So let's let's talk a little bit about your career journey, right? Prior to founding Relevo. I mean, you've had just such an impressive career. You've done product management, program management. You've had various marketing leadership roles at, you know, really companies like Microsoft and Aptio and Skilljar and just incredible, incredible career. So maybe can you share some about your background and just your career journey? Totally. Thank you. The... I'm a chemical engineer by training, and I grew up in India in the 90s, 80s and 90s, where really you only had two career options. You could either be a doctor or an engineer. And uh, <laughs> the minute I decided uh, medicine was not for me, then it was decided that I had to go become an engineer. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty early in my career, engineering career, though, I realized that I much preferred the business side of things. And uh, after getting an MBA, I, I joined Microsoft, uh, worked on the Visio product for a short period of time and then joined this incubation product that ended up becoming uh, Azure. It was called Red Dog mm -hmm. back then. I was one of the first 100 people. Actually, my co-founder, Tushan, and I were both one of the first 100 people to start working on it back then. And that role was a combination of marketing, product management, et cetera. I've done four startups since. And it's interesting. My move has been to go from bigger to progressively smaller startups in that career journey. I was at Aptio 
and help them stay all the way from their Series B-ish to, to the cusp of them going public. I was at Imperity, Skilljar most recently, that I helped them grow from a Series A to Series B. And the logical combination, of course, of that journey has been us taking on the leap during COVID and starting at a level. So that's, uh, in short, a little bit about my career journey. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I think it's funny when I speak to founders, you know, oftentimes I, I find that businesses are founded because, you know, the person's faced with some kind of challenge or a problem that they really want to solve or some kind of, you know, there's just some aha moment, right, that leads to the company. Now, was this the case for you and your co-founder? I mean, I know the two of you met, right, during your time at Microsoft, as you shared, but what led you to decide to start a company together? Totally. We... It's interesting, Tushar and I formed a really close relationship because during the early days of Azure, everybody else within the company was trying to shut us down. So that was sort of the crucible <laughs> for us to, to become really close and sort of take on uh, first the rest of Microsoft almost and then take on the rest of the world. We, we stayed in touch. And then during COVID, we started talking again and started talking about our entrepreneurial journeys. And we came to this conclusion that, you know, he's he left Microsoft and then he was at VMware Cloud Era LinkedIn uh, in parallel to my journey. And we started talking about observations in each of our journeys. And it, we came to the realization that I was super excited about solving a specific problem. And interestingly, he was already taking on that problem in a different context at LinkedIn already. And the the kernel of sort of insight that was at the core of this this journey was the fact that in each of my startups, the hardest thing to do had been to figure out what accounts to go after in driving growth. And that process involved doing a lot of manual data polls, a lot of pivot tables and, you know, munging data, cleaning data. And I thought there had to be a better way of doing things in terms of identifying these highest value accounts, identifying your repeatable go-to-market motions, if you will. Clearly, the other insight was, you know, list of accounts isn't enough. You have to figure out what to do with them, sort of what your targeting mechanism orchestration looks like when you have that list. Tushar and Parallel had been trying to solve a very similar problem at LinkedIn, and they had this idea of a next best action that he'd been in a very different context that he'd been exploring. And he wanted to do more there, but LinkedIn didn't really want to invest in that specific area because of COVID and a whole bunch of other reasons. So we started talking and we decided that if we didn't take on this problem, one, we would regret it. Mm. And two, that there was a real need for a solution like this because every startup struggles with this problem and has to figure out their own solution to this problem. And here we are, that was roughly 18, 24 months ago. We've been at it uh, and we've been having a lot of fun sort of on this journey since then. Mm, I love that. I love that. You know, because I do think, you know, one of the biggest challenges I see with organizations is related to getting, right, their ideal customer profile defined from an account perspective. And then once that's defined, then they struggle to identify the right target accounts and then to prioritize those accounts, you know, and as you said, kind of to figure out that next best action, right, to take. So are you seeing, you know, similar challenges around ICP and prioritizations of accounts? And what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's so interesting. We, if you remember, we last talked late Q3, early Q4, and the world has seemingly changed dramatically in the last 30, 60, 90 days, where it was almost, there was this assumption that you, what were you going to do? You were going to throw money at growth. You were going to throw bodies at growth. And mm -hmm. there was no concept of selectivity. That seems to have turned that concept seems to have turned on its head where everybody is not talking about doing more with less. 
they're talking about efficient growth, responsible growth, and budgets are going down, headcounts going down. All of that really comes down to this core idea of you have to be selective. You can't do as much as you were doing before. And that selectivity has to be tied to a repeatable pattern. You have to find what works and do more of it. And that journey, to your point, starts with the ICP. The core challenge that we've seen is companies frame or structure their ICP really loosely. And that leads to you end up with thousands of accounts. And then the question becomes, okay, well, great. These thousands, you've gone from millions or hundreds of thousands to tens of thousands of accounts. That's still too much. Now, what do you do? And at that point, there's a lot of guesswork that enters the picture. What we found is ICP matters, but you need to pivot or you need to structure that on the basis of what we call buyer readiness. And you can think about this as the idea of what are the accounts, companies that most need your solution right now, that could most benefit from your solution right now. At any given point in time, they only make up somewhere between 10 to 20% of your TAM. And these are companies that have an active initiative or something else going on. These are all buyer characteristics that make that company a great fit for your solution. Formographics is a great place to start, you know, geography, industry, company size, et cetera. What you want to do then is layer on a bunch of things on top of it, which is, do they have active company initiatives? What does their technical profile and technology stack look like? Are they showing any visible signs of pain? What are the specific events that are happening within the company? Do you have shared LinkedIn connections, et cetera, et cetera? These are all things you can pick up from the digital body language of the company, things like job listings, the company website, SEC filings. So that's really what we're doing is we're taking all these signals, bringing them back to the account and, and then making, uh, helping companies find the most ready to buy companies, if you will. I love that. I love that. Um, so you touched on this a little bit already. I think you gave some really good advice on some of the things to look at, but are there other things that you know organizations should really be thinking about when they're trying to determine which accounts to focus on first? Yeah, the like they say, it's a cliche, but it's true. Nothing succeeds like success. So your existing customers and your existing high-quality pipeline is always the best place to begin. And this is where if you, and we actually do this with you, if you can analyze that uh, cohort of customers and pipeline and then have the right set of questions for your sales team and your customer success team, you can end up with these criteria that help you zoom in on the best customers for you and therefore the best prospects mm-hmm. for you. And again, to repeat, what you're trying to really get at, get at is what are the pains, needs, problems, initiatives that people are solving with our product? And what are the symptoms or signs that they may have that those problems? Today, let's go find more companies that look like that. That's step one. Step two is that's, you know, that's necessary but not sufficient. There are two really interesting steps that map onto it. One is you have to then figure out the right personas to go after, and you have to have a persona-based story. One thing we're seeing is with uh, efficient growth, more personas are getting involved in the deal cycle, and typically the CFO is playing an outsized role, so you have to have a really strong ROI story with every single product that you're pitching. Uh, Messaging then becomes the third step, which is really this intersection of the need, pain initiative, the persona, and your value prop. If you do all three of these things, they compound, and so you end up 
you know, much better, with a much better conversion story, with a much higher ROI, with much more efficient growth. You also have to be careful where you, you may have seen this. There's a lot of focus on messaging on LinkedIn, how to write the perfect email. Great, super valuable. But if you get step two or step one wrong, meaning if you're sending that message to the wrong persona, it's time wasted. Mm-hmm. Or even worse, if you're sending the message to the wrong account that's not ready to buy, it's time wasted. So you really want to do all three of these things together. And that's where you need automation. You, The solution can't be that your sellers have to do more because they're just not going to. And even if they do, only a small portion of your sellers will do that. So you know, those are the sort of the three or four uh, big lessons that apply. Got it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, you know what, maybe digging a little bit more into the messaging, you know, so you have the accounts identified and you want to provide that kind of relevant messaging for the right personas, right? But but it's still just a, such a challenge, right? It's such a challenge. And um, is there any maybe advice or guidance that you would give teams that are really struggling with this issue? 100%. The, the biggest mistake that I see companies making is they'll take a one-size-fits-all approach where there are really two elements to a, a message that converts. There's the relevance piece and then there's the timeliness piece. And then there's a whole set of best practices that that go with it, which is the email has to be a particular length, the subject line matters, the first sentence matters, the call to action matters, all of those things are true. If you take the time to say, great, we've sort of figured out these accounts that are most ready to buy, mm-hmm. what buckets do they fit? Is it possible, is it, does it look like there's a portion of the market, for example, that cares about customer experience. There's another portion of the market that cares about cloud transformation, digital transformation. And then there's a third one that cares about preventing scams and fraud. I'm making this up. Then you want to have messages that tie to those pain points, to the specific personas, and have your value prop in it. And that's where you can start the start the process of automation. That's where things like ChatGPT are looking super interesting. I don't think ChatGPT is going to replace human beings yeah. or sellers in particular. You know, humans buy from humans at the end of the day. But if you can give your seller 70, 80% done messages that take the pain points, take the personas, take your value prop and serve it up to them and then they can be creative with it, that we see as the future. So I do think, you know, generative AI is an example. It's going to change sales, but not replacing sellers. It's going to make, there's going to be this clear differentiator between people who can use generative AI to be more effective versus those that cannot. And ultimately, it's going to come down to humans doing the right thing. So sorry, a little bit of a sidebar, but Hopefully it gives you a, 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 some, you know, slightly better idea of messaging and what companies can do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's super helpful and it's tactical. It's tech, you know, it's actual advice, right? It's practical advice. So thank you for sharing that. Sorry, Rosalind, just another note, which is, I think companies underestimate how much time their SDRs or AEs are spending on uh, finding the right accounts to work, mm. finding the right contacts to work, and then crafting messages. We've done some studies on this. And it can be as much as 15 hours a week, which just sounds ridiculous. It's like, if you're doing that for 15 hours, when do you have time to go actually chase down prospects? But if you want to do it right, that's the amount of time that you have to spend. And this is why a list of accounts to go after is great. It's a good start. You have to marry that with some element of automation that simplifies this whole process. There has to be a systematic solution to the problem. So a couple of points to add. Yeah. Yeah, no, but that 15 hours, I, I believe it, you know, having worked in, you know, so w- worked with so many different organizations, I believe it. And you think about that 15 hours 
of doing that instead of actually having conversations. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, when I look at the Relevo website, you talk about, you know, turning the intuition of top performers into go-to-market playbooks, right? To 2X pipeline generation with the same or smaller teams. And this sort of fits all and aligned with sort of what you've been talking about, about doing more with less, right? You know, with that volatile market that we've been seeing, I mean, over, I mean, it's not just this year or last year, it's like the past few years. So everyone's trying to do you know, do more with less or do better. I like to say do better with less. So how are you approaching this problem at Relevo and how can organizations benefit? 100%, great question. We fundamentally believe that for you to do more with less, you have to do two things right. The first is, as we've been talking about, zero in on, hone in on the highest pipeline value accounts for you at a given point in time. Mm -hmm. And this is really accounts that are most ready to buy your solution that could most benefit from your solution. That's number one. Number two is you need to then run targeted plays, as we call them, against these accounts, which is this marriage of what are the conditions that make somebody ready to buy? What are the personas to go after? And then what's the message that you want to use, messages that you want to use to get their attention in combination? Automating that in conjunction with these accounts is the best way for you to move the needle. We just published a case study last week with one of our customers, Firemon. And the way that they did this is, you know, going back to the point of top performing sellers, you really want to sit with your top performing sellers and get an idea of what patterns they're looking at today. Because your best sellers already do this intuitively, right? And they're the ones who are out there doing the research to figure out what makes a particular company interesting versus not. Two challenges with it. One, you know, there's a Pareto principle. Typically, it's your top 20%, 10% that does this, the rest don't. Two, even for them, they can only do this for a certain set of accounts because their time is limited. It's the 15-hour conversation all over again. So we really, we add value by doing, taking those patterns from, through statistical analysis from your customer, existing customers, pipeline, and conversations with your sellers, applying it to your set of accounts, and then uh, helping you automate plays on the basis for that across your go-to-market team. So we can help you, for example, identify accounts to go after on LinkedIn with a specific campaign or for a nurture email campaign and do the same thing with SDRs and AEs. Uh, that's where we're seeing really phenomenal results with companies like Firebond, iSpot, Esper, and a bunch more, all B2B technology companies that have fairly sophisticated and skeptical audiences that they're trying to sell to and audiences who are just barrage, they face a barrage of messages to sort of stand out from the noise. That's where we find our approach is helping companies generate relevant and timely messages and campaigns to drive pipeline. Mm, I love that. Love that. Um, you know, as I as I think about the revenue engine, right, and this podcast, I'm always hoping others will be able to really learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right, and power the revenue engine. And I think we've talked about a lot of those things already, but maybe from your perspective, you know, what are the top, you know, maybe two or three things that you think, you know, all revenue leaders should really be thinking about today, right, to help drive revenue growth, but also just revenue retention? Great question. The, the first point that I would make is, we were in a very sort of fortunate position as go-to-market leaders for the last 10 years where you could make a lot of bets yeah. and budgets were not constrained. Unfortunately, I think that those days have changed somewhat and you know, 
somewhat for some and a lot for others, where with zero-based budgeting, et cetera, you have to talk about ROI even before you make the investments. So it's going to be critically important is for marketing and sales teams to make smart bets and smart investments that are, it's going to be a handful. It's going to be less than what they were making first. So they do have to sort of be mindful in where they're investing their dollars, thoughtful and in, and, and thoughtful in how they're making these investments. That's point number one. Uh, point number two is it's probably going to be even more important that sales and marketing are aligned mm-hmm. in this approach from here on out because, again, there's a compounding effect if you're both singing from the same sheet of music and going after a similar set of accounts where every touch point across the website, LinkedIn ads, search ads, you know, sales outreach, voicemails, they all align with each other. So I'd say pay a ton of interest, pay a ton of attention to aligning uh, sales and marketing on a similar set of accounts, et cetera. And the third point which you make up, which is, which is super important, where it's not just about revenue acquisition, it's also about revenue retention. And it, this comes back to focus on accounts where you can solve real problems. And you can book a lot of meetings sometimes, but those meetings don't become opportunities and they don't become deals because there isn't an inherent pain or a need or initiative that you've tapped into. So if you start taking that into consideration, what makes a good meeting also makes for a good opportunity, also makes for a good customer, and that really sets up the CS team to then drive adoption and engagement with the customer and leads to revenue retention, upsells, renewals, things like that. It's a thread that just keeps going. In many ways, we've hit an inflection point where SaaS as a discipline will evolve based on these pressures that we're feeling. You're already seeing a lot of creative approaches. And it's interesting, generative AI couldn't have timed its arrival better in many ways because it's a solution to many of the problems that are coming up. But I'd say there's a lot of doom and gloom in the market today. I don't think that's that's warranted. This is just change. We have to embrace this change. People will always need growth. Companies will always need to grow. And sure, there are some constraints, but constraints bring out creativity. And I, th- I think we'll see a new sort of era of growth come out of these constraints in the next 6, 12, 18 months. And I'm excited. For yeah. That. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, looking back maybe at your career, right, in your journey, um, is there anything that you might do differently? Like if you could just hit that reset button, right, and kind of do it all over again? Yeah, it's such a great question. The um, Jeff Bezos has this really good framework where he talks about regret minimization. And he says, your life should should basically be run on a regret minimization framework. And when I read that, uh, that resonated very strongly with me. I'd say for me, it took me four startups to finally summon up my courage to do a startup. And I kept thinking, uh, oh, you know, there'll be this, I'll know. I'll know when it's the right time to do it. Well, you wanting to do a startup is probably good enough as a sign in most cases. If you wait for the fear to go away, unfortunately, it never does. Because courage is not the lack of fear, it's action even when you are fearful. And so I would say, that's probably something I would do differently. I would probably make the entrepreneurial leap myself a little earlier in my career because it's been a it's been an amazing journey. You learn so much and it's so gratifying to build something and to see customers love it and to see it see it having an impact in in people's lives on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Um, so if you know your listeners, if there are listeners who are sort of thinking about making the entrepreneurial leap, I would say do it, make the leap, 
a lot of times we don't make the leap because we think, well, there's nothing on the other side. It's interesting when you make the leap, those things just show up and you adapt and you go from there. Got it. Got it. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, but as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask two things. So one, what is the one thing about you that maybe others might be surprised to learn? And two, what is that one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? Yeah. Uh, the first one, I don't know if this is a surprise, uh, and it's not particularly unique, but I love to read. And I'm typically always juggling a few books at a time. So if you want to get my attention, or if you have a book recommendation, please send it to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I love, it's one of those things where I'm always reading a few books, and I'm always on the lookout for books that give you a new perspective on life, uh, on things, and they don't necessarily have to be business, either. I, I'm, I'll read anything that I can get my hands on. In terms of the one thing I want everyone to know about me, I'm a, a complete go-to-market geek, and I love <laughs> <laughs> geeking out on signals, the repeatable patterns, leverage points in the funnel, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you just want to talk signals with me and you want to geek out with me, again, hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I'd love to have a no-obligation chat with you where we can just look at what's going on in your business and see if we can find some interesting signs. I love that. Yeah, I think a lot of people will take you up on that offer. I did that, like opened up my calendar one time and I cannot imagine just how many meetings, you know, how many meetings I got. I can imagine how many meetings you will be getting. <laughs> so thank you for that offer. And hopefully everybody heard that because I'm sure folks will be reaching out to you to learn from you. Well, thank you so much for joining me and just thank you so much for sharing, you know, just your background and your credible story and your insights because I think there's a lot to learn for our audience. So really appreciate your time. Thank you. Razan, thank you so much for having me. What a great conversation. I appreciate it. 